take a moment and pray as they begin to share the word of the Lord. Father, I humble myself before you, and I recognize that in and of myself, I have nothing good to say. But through the power of the Holy Spirit, I ask that you speak through me. Give to your people today what they need to hear from you. Fill them. Lord, fill this room. Holy Spirit, come inhabit this place, overflowing with your presence. Lord, you so wonderfully touched us last week as we gathered together in your presence of joy. Lord, I thank you for the unique presence of God, the Holy Spirit, that is here right now. You know, I was praying before the service, and I, I felt inspired. The Lord said, just declare. And I'm just going to step out in faith and declare this, that I really felt stirred as I was praying. The Lord said, tell the congregation I'm going to heal someone. And this is more than just one person. I'm going to heal someone here this morning miraculously. I don't know who you are. And when the Lord touches you, you in faith, as you reach out to that word, it is God that heals. He is the healer, that he will touch you right now in the name of Jesus, that they would be healed, that you would receive all the glory, honor, and praise. It's in Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, amen. I just want to continue this week here. I got a lot to share, but uh, uh, hopefully we can get to it. Uh, a brief series on follower of Jesus. Next week we have our Christmas program, and the kids have been singing because I hear them in my office as they practice, and, and they're learning their lines, and doing some skits, and so it is a great opportunity to bring family out, friends, extended family, invite them to come, and as always, we'll have a short gospel message at the end of the service that people can have an opportunity to receive Jesus, which is the most important Christmas gift, isn't that? People to receive the Lord. Amen. Well, <clears throat> if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Hebrews chapter eleven six 6 is kind of our text, and we kind of talked about last week that God is a rewarder. God is a rewarder of those who earnestly and diligently seek him. And there is, there is a number of rewards, more than what I'm going to share this morning, that God has for his people that seek him. But let me just, for faithful followers, somebody shall faithful. And so God's calling us in this time and season to be faithful followers. Hebrews 11.6. But without faith, somebody shall faith. It is impossible to walk with God and to please him. Faith, and faith is a gift from God. And every believer receives a measure of faith. And so I left last week with the question, what are you doing with your measure of faith? Metron, meter is actually what it means in the Greek, and measure down. Here's the thing. You say, well, I just got a little measure. I have a turtle's amount of measure. It's just really slow. Or my measure seems like a speck. Do you know, Jesus said, Faith is the seed of a mustard can move a mountain. So you may have smaller than a mustard seed. And actually, it's very hard to even see, especially the older you get, you know, without bifocals or glasses, a mustard seed, but it's really tiny. And so God is not saying you have to have this super huge amount of faith. No, what are we doing with the faith that God has given us? Are we, can I get an amen? Are we developing that? Are we growing that faith? And so the Bible said without faith, it is impossible to walk with God and please God. For whoever comes near to God must necessarily believe that God exists and that he rewards. Some shall rewards. Those who earnestly and diligently seek him. And last week we talked about that reward. What is that reward? And, and <clears throat> one who, who pays wages. You know what? When we serve the Lord, God is one that keeps good records. 
and he pays us. And like, we don't serve him for what we can get. We serve him for who he is, but he still is a rewarder. And so when things get difficult, and they are in life, and things seem like a, like a pressure cooker, and, you know, you hear that whistling noise of that rice pressure cooker or whatever, it starts to whistle. You think, God, what is happening? God is looking for people that arise in faith and continue to trust him, but earnestly and diligently seek him. You know, that word rewards, actually, in the Greek, it's a mistranslation. It actually means he becomes a rewarder. So what does that mean? That is something that as we take action in faith and he rewards those, he becomes a rewarder. In other words, it's like a repayment uh, 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 that, that God gives us. It, it's a remuneration for work that is done. That is in recognition. And so God is, so really our lives is like really it's a journey. And the Lord is watching and seeing, I believe. He's put the seed of faith in you to say, what are you doing with that? Do we want to squat? Can I get an amen? Do we just say, well, we've got that. Are we going to be like that unjust servant that says, do you know what? My life was busy. Things were tough. I mean, hey, God, do you remember COVID? Or do you remember the riots? I mean, do you remember, you know, just interest rates? Things are tough, God. I mean, I got to kind of take care of me, myself and I. And the Lord says, that he, that's not a good proclamation that he makes of that servant. He says, wicked, untrustworthy servant. You took what I gave you and you hid and you buried it in the ground. And he said, at least you could have put it in the bank or would have gained interest. <laughs> See, God is always looking for growth. I'm going to say that again. God is always requiring growth in our life. And see, at Harvest here, that's one of the things we want to equip you that you grow. If you sit here at Harvest and you just kind of a, I heard this one time minister say, a, a congregor, a congregator. You know what a congregator is? You just come into church, you show up, and then you leave. There's no congregators here at Harvest because we will instigate you. We will say, hey, how's it going? Hey, how do we get you? Oh, you have a grace, a gift. Maybe you have an instrument that you can play on the worship team. Maybe it's something you could serve. You know sound. Maybe you could serve at some capacity. What is that gift that you have? We'll help you develop that and find that and see that. Everything got awfully quiet after I said that here this morning. Thank you, Angie. It's a good word. And so those, he rewards those who earnestly and diligently seek him. So the writer of Hebrews tells us that we need to pay a close attention. We left off with this verse last week. Pay close attention. Hebrews 2.1. Hebrews 2.1 says, for this reason, that is, because of God's final revelation to his son Jesus, and because of Jesus' superiority to the angels, he goes on to say, we must pay closer attention than ever to the things that we have heard in this day, to pay close attention to the things that we have heard, so that we do not in any way drift away from the truth. Now, if you believe that one saved, already saved, this won't apply to you. This verse really doesn't need to be in the Bible because once you save, always you're saved. Now, listen, no one can pluck you out of the hand of God other than yourself. I'm just throwing that out there. You have a choice in the matter. And so I live in, I don't wake up every day thinking, oh, is this it? This is the day I'm going to slip and fall and, and I'm, gonna not, I'm not going to be saved today. No, I don't walk around in that fear, but there's a healthy reverential feel knowing that I got to watch out. I got to pay attention. I got, I got to pay attention. Earnestly, guilty, I got to pay attention so I won't drift away because I know my flesh and my soul wants to drift. 
Am I just speaking to myself here? Does anybody's flesh drift? Don't raise your hand on that one. <laughs> your wife's nudging. Yeah, drifted this week at Thanksgiving. <laughs> Moving right along. Drift from the truth. You know, when I think about be listening, be listening. I think of the story in 1 Samuel 3, 9 about the little prophet Samuel, young little boy. He was serving at the tabernacle. His mom dedicated him. He said, Lord, if you give me a child, I'll dedicate. She de dedicates him to the Lord, and, and she fulfilled her vow to the Lord. And the Bible says that the Lord tried to speak to Samuel in the middle of the night. Each night, God called him and said, Samuel, Samuel, when the Lord calls your name once, I mean, no, you need to listen. But, you know, right? It's like a parent. You know, you used to say, you know, a little, Zach, come here. But it's when it's Zechariah, Michael, Bartholomew, you better come. Amen? It's the, and the Lord says, Samuel, Samuel. And he wants you to pay attention. And so he, what does he do? He doesn't understand the voice of God. He runs to the high priest, Eli, saying, here am I, for you called me. Samuel said, go back to bed. It wasn't me. Again, the Lord does it. Again, three times. Then, because the Bible says this in 1 Samuel 3, 7, he said, he did not recognize the Lord. Watch this. And the word of the Lord had not been revealed to him. God was speaking, but he couldn't hear and discern that voice. God is speaking even now, but are we close off? Are our ears open to what the Spirit is saying? So Eli, he's smart, realized it said it was the voice of the Lord. So he gave them this wise advice. And he says, the next time you hear that voice, say this, say, watch this. For, say, Lord, I'm here, your servant is listening. Lord, I'm here, your servant is listening. What does that mean for us today? The point is, anytime God speaks to us, we ought to be listening intently to his voice. Can I get an amen? And so last week, we left off in Hebrews 2, 10 through 15, and I want to just jump in to some of these rewards and see how far we get this morning, and then we'll pray. Hebrews chapter 2. Verses 10 through 15, we are told of rewards <clears throat> that we will receive for being a devoted disciple of Jesus Christ if we don't quit. Boy, that word, if we don't quit, just really rings loud in my spirit today. I don't want a show of hands, but how many feel like quitting lately? Don't raise your hand on that. And what I mean by that, quitting, is not just quitting life. I mean, just, just quitting, just quitting just, just draw, drawing back, the Bible says. Hebrews talks about a drawback spirit. It's just, it's, just, it's just too much. I just, I'm hurting. Am I speaking to anybody this morning? So I just want to draw back. Not doing good inside. Things happening all around the world. I just, I want to draw back. And listen to me, that is the work in the voice of Satan. Let's say that again. The drawback spirit is the voice of Satan. To cause you to draw back to think that there will be relief and there will be pleasure and there will be fun on the other side. But it's a lie. It's a lie. <laughs> so, so what is the first thing God rewards us? He says this, I will lead you to a glorious future. When I thought about that, I went, what is a glorious future? And I looked that up. It means a famous future. Everybody wants to be famous. Everybody wants to have likes. They post something, wow, you know, I got, a, I got 100 likes. And then you talk to someone else and they have 100,000 likes. You know, it's like, uh, well, you know, it's, it's, it's immaterial here. That doesn't matter. 
What matters is the future the Lord has for each and every one of us. Now, that doesn't mean we have our heads in the clouds, but I'm talking about being a faithful servant of the Lord, that God is a rewarder. He's faithful. He sees what you do. Are you with me this morning? It actually means delightful, a delightful future, a grand, a wonderfully and completely enjoyable. Wow, that sounds really nice, does it? So Hebrews 2.5, and furthermore... He says this, it is not angels who will control the future world we are talking about. So the writer of Hebrews, which some believe was Paul, has been talking about the subject of the world to come. In other words, the time when Jesus Christ will return to the earth, he will set up his literal kingdom, and uh, it's a visible, tangible kingdom on the planet for a thousand years. So the Bible talks about that. I want to get into all that. And so the writer tells us that God has not given, watch this, the angels the privilege of ruling in the world to come. That's not the angel's call. Watch this. Rather, he has bestowed that honor on man and women, specifically the faithful followers of his son. You want to be national? You want to be global? You want to be known? Be a faithful follower now. God will take care of that. God will take care of that. So the writer of Hebrews continues that thought in Hebrews 2.10. He says, in bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God from whom and through everything exists should make the author of their salvation perfect, uh uh-oh, through suffering. So the author of their salvation, how many know that's Jesus? But it says this, that he's made perfect through suffering. And you have to look that word up actually in the Greek, and actually perfect means complete. How many know Jesus was without sin? He never sinned. He was without sin, the Bible says. So what does it mean, perfect through suffering? We'll develop that in a moment. But it actually means complete. And it's not morally. There was nothing morally wrong with him. It's actually as in uh, the finishing his course in training or education is the thought behind that. Uh, a righteous, uh, as, a, as a human, uh, his human life on earth, there was a testing, there was a suffering that Jesus had to go through as a human. How many see that say amen? And so God has a glorious future plan for the devoted disciples of his son. In other words, God is saying, I'm gonna allow you to rule and reign with Jesus in his millennial kingdom. You will be the rulers if you overcome now. That's something good to look forward to. It's something real. That's what the writer means by the phrase, bringing many sons and daughters to glory. That's what that means. So it's not a reference to all Christians going to heaven or all Christians entering Christ's earthly kingdom, but rather, watch this, to all faithful followers of Jesus. Can we say that? Can we say faithful followers of Jesus? And those faithful followers will rule in his future earthly kingdom. And so the Bible says it is Jesus who will lead them to this glorious future. He will do that. That is what is meant by the phrase, the author of their salvation. And I looked that up. The author actually means the pioneer or the leader, the leader. Jesus is the trailblazer, the one who leads the way. You know, I spent time in in the Marine Corps, and this applies to all military service, that when you go in, you usually start at the bottom of the barrel whether you're an officer or enlisted. And so you're a private in the Marines, and you have, you have nothing, you worked at PFC, and then it's Lance Corporal, then it's Corporal, but Corporal was what they call NCO, 
a non-commissioned officer. And usually you get your blood stripe on your uniform. Well, the time came uh, when me and this other guy, had uh, we got meritoriously promoted to corporal. And so, so in the Marine Corps, which sadly, uh, 90% of the hazing happens in the military in the Marine Corps. And so they have a little thing. Now, this is going back 36, 38 years. It's a lot different. And they have things in place to, to, to forbid this. But they would, you know, you, you got pinned, your corporal stripes, and then they would just kick you. In, and two guys would kick you on the side. And, and, and some guys couldn't walk for four days. It's hazing. It was just like, uh, or they would take your, you know, cover off, and, and they'd say, you got to hit this quarter, and they'd blindfold you, but then they'd put your cap there, and you're chopping your cover up, and they give it back. It's just these things. Now, that kind of seems a little bit harmless than some of the stuff today where, sadly, some of the military personnel have died. It's awful. It's awful. The point. He said, what's your point in that? A pioneer or leader, you know what? When you're an NCO, you need to lead. You have a responsibility to the troops underneath you. Okay, and you have to lead by example. Otherwise, these guys are not going to follow you. They're not going to follow you. There was always, we always had NCOs that nobody liked. Nobody could stand. They just kind of pushed their title of their stripes and it was like, when the stuff hits the fan, this is the time, who are you going to follow? And, uh, and so I, I learned that for intuitively. I just knew it was like, you know what, those those. Those uh, younger soldiers, they need to trust their, their NCO, but more importantly, uh, they, you know, uh, I need to trust them, but they need to trust me that I'm going to lead them and look after them. Well, Jesus isn't standing at the back of the line shouting orders to you and I. Jesus led the way. Jesus led the way for you and I. He's the one who leads the way, showing us as believers the path to follow in order to rule in his kingdom. That's a true shepherd. A true shepherd cares about the sheep. And when the sheep hurt, the shepherd hurts. Amen? He cares about them. And that path is the pathway of obedience. Yeah, there's that word. Obedience even in times of suffering. Hebrews 5.8, notice what it says about Jesus. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. What was the things he suffered? He suffered temptation. He fasted. There was, there was suffering in that uh, through uh, uh, dealing with the devil and dealing with situations in the wicked heart of man. So as a physical man, Jesus experienced suffering. But he was completely, watch this, obedient throughout all his earthly ordeals as a man. He fully entered the human experience. How was that? As a child, he had to obey his parents. He, you know, as an adult, he obeyed the law. He fulfilled all righteousness, the Bible says. All his earthly life, Jesus completely fulfilled the Father's will. He said, I don't do anything unless the Father tells me, and then that's what I'll do. Wow. That made him completely, uniquely qualified to die for our sins and to rule over all of creation. Can I get an amen? And so what is that? That, that means that Jesus extends to believers, that's you and I, to believers the opportunity to join him in ruling over God's creation. That's wonderful. The opportunity to fulfill God's original intent and purpose for mankind. So here's the thing. If you follow Jesus as a de devoted disciple now here on earth, even when it's difficult, you feel like you want to throw in the towel, he will lead you to a glorious future ruling with him in his earthly kingdom, and it'll be worth it. Yeah. I said, sometimes you need to remind yourself of this. 
All right? It's like, it's, it's going to, when it gets tough, what's the while I go, it's, it's going to be worth it. it it's going to be worth it. In that moment, it's going to be worth it. It's all going to be worth It's going to be worth it. If I say no to premarital sex right now, it's going to be worth it. It's going to be worth it. If I say no to drugs, alcohol, all these addictions, it's going to be worth it. It's going to be worth it. Worth it if I say, for me and my house, I'm going to be a follower of Jesus. It will be worth it. Yeah. Point is, we must diligently, diligently be a seeker, not of man, but of God. Not of man's opinion, Matthew 6, 33, but seek first and most importantly, seek, aim at, strive after his kingdom and his righteousness, his way of doing and being right, the Amplified says. The attitude and character of God and all these things will be given unto you. Psalm 105, 4, seek the Lord in his strength. Seek his presence continually. How do you seek the presence of the Lord? I seek the presence of the Lord by reading, by studying, but also by worshiping, by creating an atmosphere of worship. You know, sometimes people that are so stressed out, and you know, stress affects everybody. It's how you deal with it. But sometimes, you know, you just kind of, all you have to do is spend a minute or so in, the, in their presence or in their house, and the, you know, the TV's blaring, there's crazy music on, and everything's out of control. Am I speaking to anybody, you know? And he's like, I can't concentrate. I can't. You know, your soul is disrupted. <laughs> Amen or oh me. Seek his presence continually. Why? Because it's in the presence of God we understand the ways of God and we rise above all the chatter. Psalm 119.10, with my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. Psalm 34.10, young lions suffer wanted hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. I'm lacking. I need this. I need that. I, I, I need my name is Jimmy. Gimme, gimme. No. Those who seek the Lord lack no th good thing. Jeremiah 29, 13, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Mm. So without a learner's attitude, we miss out on many valuable lessons that the Lord wants to teach us in his quest to perfect us in every area. I heard about this story about a father who had a problem with his son cleaning his room. The son would always agree to, I'm going to tidy it up. But he'd never follow through. Yeah, I'll get to it, Dad. I'll get to it, Dad. So after high school, the young man, he joined the Marine Corps. <laughs> and when he came home after leave, after 13 weeks of basic training, his father asked him, he said, what have you learned in the service, in the Marines? And the son paused. He said, Dad, I learned what now means. <laughs> and... <laughs> And I know I learned what now. So when someone tells me something, whatever, I just have that, that, that military, now, now, get up now, move now. I, sir, yes, yes, sir, yes, sir. Or for the females, I, ma'am, I, ma'am. When we picked up Mariah, uh, we go to visit while she was there at Paris Island graduating, uh, I believe it was back in 2017, and we were just anticipating she was coming, she was marching out. Uh, we had some time, what they call kind of like a family time before they're actually dismissed. And she was in a uniform. We were super proud, and I'm balling. I'm like, you know, and, and, and uh, but she had to still deal with some of the drill instructors, the female ones. And boy, you don't want to mess with them. And I, I never could get her to be disobedient. But she would walk up and stand, and they would say, "I want you to go over here, private. You do. I, ma'am. I, ma'am." And she would run. And everything was quick. Not you never. When they gave you a command to do something, you go, "Yeah, okay," and you walk. 
There was one kid that did that. I was in boot camp, and he walked by. He flew to the office, and he said, buy your leave, gentlemen. They went, what? <laughs> that poor kid was, you know, on the quarter deck. They didn't mess with that. They were on top of that. And you know what? The God is really requiring of us that I serve. Yes, yes, sir. Lord, what do you ask? What do you require? Yes. Now. You want me to do that now? Mm. <laughs> Friends, if you follow Jesus' devoted disciple, he's going to lead you into a glorious future of ruling with him. Ruling with him. But there's a second reward, very quickly. Jesus wants to give you, and it's found in Hebrews 2, verses 11 to 13. Jesus said the reward of fellowship connect you in genuine fellowship. Not just in communion with Jesus. There's a whole message there. There is that whole relationship, communion with God the Father, the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But notice Hebrews 2.11 says, both the one who makes men holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers or sisters. What does that mean? When you trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Bible says you become a child of God. But as you grow in the Lord, you develop a deeper, richer, fuller relationship with Jesus Christ. Oh, we should. We should. How many with me? Amen. And so it's the same intimate personal experience with Jesus that the Apostle Paul spoke about in Philippians 3.10. He says this. He says, I want to know Christ, watch this, in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Now, we like the first part of that verse. I want to know him and the power of his resurrection. We want to see the power of God. We want to see the might of God move, the miracles of God flow and, and, and like that. But it says, the, <laughs> the second part, power comes, watch this, with shared suffering. Power on your life. It's just the way God set it up. Comes when we go through things. And they are hardship, come on somebody, and they are difficult, and we want to quit, but we say, no, for me and my house, I'm going to serve the Lord. And I go through that, and I come out, there's a power that rests upon you, that, 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 that is yours to keep. You don't lose that, because you came through that. You came through that, and you own that, and God places that on you. And see, some of you think some of the most anointed men and women of God, wow, what is it? They're not just fancy, uh, you know, preachers with you know, $5,000 sneakers. Come on, somebody. No, they've been through some stuff. They suffered through some stuff. And you see the power of God on their life, and you think, how did you make it? How did you come through this? But through the power of God. It's the power of God. And so there's the, the reward of a fellowship. What do you mean, Pastor Mike? A genuine fellowship as you continually faithfully follow him. Very quickly, the writer of Hebrews emphasized this fellowship using three Old Testament quotes, and I just want to go through them very quickly. The first one is Psalm 22, 22. It's actually a messianic psalm, and it's actually speaking about Jesus, and it says this, and we read it in Hebrews 2, 12. Jesus tells those, watch this, those committed to him, I will declare your name. Yes, prophetically, it's talking about Jesus to my brothers in the presence of the congregation. I will sing your praises. But also, Jesus is acknowledging someday Jesus is going to openly acknowledge those who follow him. That's you. So, I, I mean, I wrote this down, and I, I hesitate to even say it just because. Uh, but I believe it's true, but I don't want to say it, but I'm going to say it anyways. Jesus will someday sing your praise. 
That, that sounds like that you should not say that, Pastor Mike, but Jesus is going to honor you for what you went through. He's going to, I'm going to sing your praise. I'm going to say thank you for what you did, what you went through. I saw you at that time. I know when that was hard, that divorce you went through, that painful betrayal. I know that. The loss of that loved one, a son, a daughter, a child. I know that. And you, you stayed connected to God. You know what? The book of Job really could be summed up in this one phrase. Crazy stuff happens in this world. Some stuff you don't understand. But no matter what, don't lose your grip on God. That's the summation of the book of Job. You can, there's been volumes written about Job, but right there, that alone is it. No matter what you go through, don't lose your grip on God. Wow. It reminds me of Jesus said, Matthew 10, 32, whoever acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. That's not gonna be an acknowledgement of like, oh yeah, here comes, you know, Oli and Lena, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is an acknowledging of your life and your faithfulness to him. Very quickly, the second Old Testament quote comes from Isaiah 17, found in verse uh, Hebrews 2.13. And again, he said, I will put my trust in him. Genuine fellowship with Jesus, not only seen in acknowledging us, but in him, watch this, revealing to us his personal trust in the Father. It's also into us. And then thirdly, the Old Testament quote comes from Isaiah 8.18 is found in the middle of Hebrews 2.13, and it says, he says, where I am in the children of God has given me. What does that mean? Genuine fellowship is displayed in the fact that Jesus calls us his children. His children, we are a child of God. And so these Old Testament quotes describe the close, the personal fellowship Jesus has with those who obey him. He said, Pastor, Hi, that's really hard. The Bible says this, to as many received him, to them gave he power. Some shall power. That's the exousia. That's the right to rule. You have the ability to resist sin if you want to. The key for believers is not that you don't have the ability. The key to believers is to get the desire and the want to. And that comes by fellowship with him. Amen? That's where the fellowship is. You're in fellowship with him. The want to will come. You say, sometimes it just takes a while and it's time. That's okay. The want to will come as you continue to pursue him. That's a word for somebody. Somebody needs to hang on to that. So Jesus calls us. So if you follow Jesus, if you walk the path that he walked as a faithful follower, watch this, he's gonna lead us, yes, to a glorious future. He's gonna, he's gonna link us with that genuine fellowship. And then thirdly, He's going to liberate you from gripping fear. I want to end with fear right here. Notice Hebrews 2, 14 and 15. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, watch this, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. That is a whole sermon right there. You know, most people fear the prospect of physically dying. Some fear the pain associated with dying. You know, we have modern medicine today, though, that, that uh, you know, most deaths are, are, are not that painful. Some fear the separation from loved ones that dying brings. and Some fear the unknown. They don't know what awaits them beyond the grave, and perhaps maybe there's punishment. They just don't know. Some fear that they're just not going to exist. 
you know, was a British philosopher, an atheist, Bertrand Russell, and he, he, he penned these words. He said, brief and powerless is man's life. On his and all his race, the slow, sure doom falls pitless and dark. How depressing is that? That's pretty depressing. And, you know, he was an atheist. He, he, the guy lived to 97 and died in 1970. And his last words were this for the atheist. There is a darkness without. And when I die, there will be a darkness within. And he's gone. <clears throat> Friends, it pays to serve God now. There is a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. And the Bible says now is the time. Today is the day of salvation. Can you say amen? So whatever the fear man has of death, that is a grip that Satan uses, watch this, to hold people in bondage all their life. And how does he use for some? We don't know what the future holds. Even though the good news and the gospel and the message of Christ is out there, they reject that. They are, we tried Jesus, that didn't work. And so there's like, well, the thing on life is, is just try to extract all the most pleasure and benefits out of life now because we don't know what the afterlife holds. That is a lie of the enemy. That is a demonic lie. You know, I heard this uh, actually story, true story, uh, about this thing about fear and bondage. Uh, back in 2004, the police were shocked by what they found inside a house in a small town of Durham, Ontario, Canada. So the police responded to complaints from relatives, and when they entered the ramshack house, they discovered two teenage boys, ages 14 and 15, locked in cages. They had these boys in cages. So their biological aunt had adopted the teens when they were four and five years old. For over a decade, the boys suffered abuse at the hands of their adoptive parents. Ontario officials learned that the boys did not attend school, or that they did attend school during the day, but they were sent to their cages at night. Can you imagine this? On weekends and holidays, they, they were often allowed downstairs for a bowl of cereal in the morning and then sent back to their cages wearing diapers where they would spend the rest of the day. The adoptive mother was described to the courts as a domineering, controlling woman whose husband was illiterate, dyslexic, handyman who, who beat the boys in her command. It was Detective Kate Lang and Constable Tim Ma who released the boys from their makeshift cages. They told the boys that they would never be locked in those cages again. And the teenage boys responded with one word. Really? Really? They were released once and for all from their bondage and released from the fear of bondage as well. You know, it's a fact that Satan, watch this, he holds people in bondage by their fear of death. And whether it is because they don't know what the future holds and they rejected the gospel, they live for their flesh. But there's something else I want to interject. And I came across this years ago that I believe is a revelation even for believers. Watch this. This statement, fear of death, is not just about physical death. What do you mean, Pastor Mike? I believe it's a spiritual truth. I believe it has to do with us dying to ourself in our flesh as a believer. And so if you read it in context about this fear of death, it's not just physically, but about our soul. Watch this. In our, our spiritually die, dying to what the impulses of our flesh want. See, when we don't die to our flesh, come on, somebody, we're held in bondage all our life. Amen? 
So, you know what? You're an alcoholic. Christ has saved you. You're born again. You have the Spirit of God. You have the power of God in your life. Don't die an alcoholic. Amen? <laughs> you're a drug addict. You know, you, you, you know, all your life you've been drugs. Don't die a drug addict as a believer. Don't allow that, the fear of death, of dying to that, keep you in bondage. Stand with me if you would, please. There was a Scottish theologian, Peter Forsyth, author of The Soul of Prayer. He said this, the first duty of every soul is to find not its freedom, but its master. I'm going to say that again. The first duty of every soul is to find not its freedom, but its master. And the duty of every child of God is to make Jesus Christ master and Lord and Savior of his life. Can you say amen? And so in that, that's where we experience true freedom from the fear of death. We experience freedom from the fear of death when we make Christ Lord of our life and we start down that path and allowing the Holy Spirit when he speaks is like, I want to deal with this area of your life. Now, the Bible says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It says that for not walk after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Is a pastor, I feel condemned. I feel, well, you don't have to anymore. <laughs> you don't have to. He's not, he's not trying to condemn you. You're condemning yourself because you know the lifestyle, the behavior, whatever you're operating is, is not what God's best for your life. Can I say it that way, life-giving? Amen. And so we don't want, we don't want the fear of this thing to keep us in bondage. We don't want the grip of this, whatever this is. And the Holy Spirit is speaking now many of us, to keep us from growing, from receiving what God has for us, the future and rewards that God has for us. We don't want, we don't allow this to hijack our life in this season. The following story appeared in a 1995 issue of Guideposts, and there's a remarkable facility. It's in San Paulo, Brazil, about 30 years ago. And the Brazilian government turned a prison over to two Christians. The institution was renamed Humada. And the plan was to run the prison on Christian principles. Isn't that a novel idea? <clears throat> With the exception of two full-time staff, all the work was done by the inmates. Families outside the prison adopted an inmate to work with during and after he serves his sentence. So many, some of you may know Chuck Colson. He was the founder of Prison Fellowship. He visited the prison and he made this report and he writes in this article. And he said, when I visited Humana, I found the inmates smiling, particularly the murderer who held the keys and opened the gates and let me in. <laughs> Think of that. Who is this guy? Well, he's the murderer. He has the keys to let you in. Wherever I walked, he said, I saw men at peace. I saw clean living areas, people that were working industriously. He said the walls were decorated with biblical sayings from the Psalms and the Proverbs. And my guide escorted me to the notorious prison cell once used for torture. Today he told me that block house is only a single inmate. As we reached the end of the long concrete corridor, he put the key in the lock and he paused and he asked, he said, are you sure you really want to go in? Of course, he 
said he replied immediately. I've been in isolation cells all over the world, Chuck Colson said. Slowly he swung open the massive door and I saw the prisoner in that punishment cell. What was it? It was a cross, beautifully carved by the inmates. It said, the prisoner of Jesus, every head bowed, please. Jesus hanging on a cross. He's doing time for the rest of us, my guide said softly. Friends, angels can't do that for you. Your neighbors down the street can't do that for you. Your friends, your relatives, the people with prestige and wealth cannot do that for you. The only one who could serve your time, the only one who can take your punishment is Jesus Christ. You know why? Why did he do that? He did that so that he could save you, but also that he would give you a glorious future, that you would rule with him in his earthly kingdom. He linked you to a genuine fellowship that he desires with you, even though that at times that entails suffering. And he liberated you from a gripping fear of death. With every head bowed here this morning, say, Pastor, I want the Lord in my life. I need God in my life. Today is my day. Today is my day to get set free. Today is my day of salvation. The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, that God has raised Jesus Christ from the dead, you shall be saved. It's not a rabbit's foot prayer. What it is, it is a surrender of your life to Christ, inviting Christ Jesus into your life. That is an act of your will. I believe that. And God has given you the ability to do that even now under my voice, under the voice of the Spirit. You say, Pastor, that's me today. I need to get right with God. I need to repent of my sin. I need to be born again with every head bow. Let's pray together. You're not joining the church if you pray this prayer, but you are joining the family of God. If that's you, would you pray with me? Say with me, say, Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for my sin. Jesus, come into my life. Save me. Fill me with your spirit. Thank you for saving me. I make a decision today to follow you all the days of my life. I give you my life. I'll take it. In Jesus' name. Friends, if you prayed that prayer, you meant that the Holy Spirit of God took of His Spirit as placed within your spirit. And the Bible says, you are born again. 